it's a photo? Um, how do I start this morning? Um, first off, actually, a couple quick things. Uh, Penny, are you here? Nope, Penny's not here. Um, I can't see, so <laughs> I'm looking out there. If you're here, Penny, I'm sorry I missed your email this week. Come and see me after uh, the sermon. I'll give you an answer to that email. I just thought of it this morning. Uh, this evening, we're supposed to start a class. Um, uh, Bruce Pobble is leading us in a new series, uh, a study on another kind of life. That's not going to be starting tonight. That'll be starting next Sunday night. So any of you that might have had that on your radar for tonight, it will be starting next Sunday night. Um, I think that's it for the announcements. Is there anything else I missed out on? James is 13 today. I, I loved his response. He went, oh. <laughs> he loved it. Um, happy birthday, James. Um, uh, another thing on a, on a bit of a sadder note, for those of you who may know Gary Colville, um, those of you who have worked quite a bit in here, especially when we had league conference and getting this auditorium sorted. Gary was a key part in helping us through that. He had a stroke last night, so if we could just take a moment, I'm going to pray over him and his family as, as a fellowship. Gary was the pastor at Hosanna Porirua. Um, he just retired a couple of years ago, but I um, just want to lift him up in prayer. Father God, thank you for Gary. Thank you for all that you've done through him and in him, Lord. But right now, we just want to lift him up to you, Father, and we pray uh, for your peace, your mercy, uh, for your healing in his life, Lord, and for his family um, as they are beside him now, Lord, um, for the doctors. Um, yeah, we just ask, Lord, for your intervention in all of this, uh, Father, and um, yeah, bless, bless him. Um, if it is your will, Lord, heal him. Um, but above all, may your peace and mercy rest upon him and his family in this time, Lord. We lift him up uh, as your people, in Jesus' name, amen. Last week I started the sermon, uh, well, I, I did a series, uh, a sermon on Jesus, and do you know Jesus? And it was a bit challenging for some of you, I've gotten a few responses uh, from, from some of you, and today is going to be equally challenging. Uh, I, I will be a little bit more pragmatic or practical today, but that doesn't stop the fact that I will be challenging you quite hard. Um, it's difficult. Um, I might be preaching to the choir for some of you, um, so don't always take it personally. Um, the challenge for me is to sharpen you. Um, as iron sharpens iron, I pray that you may come away from this empowered, um, reinvigorated, and, and deeply challenged. Um, the passage we're going to be looking at today is from actually 1 Peter. Uh, I'm actually going to be taking a, a smaller portion of this, but I thought I'd read a little bit before and a little bit after, because I feel this is actually really important about what we're going to be talking about today. And I'm going to be breaking it into two parts. Um, and so let's begin with the passage um, from 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 22. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth, so that you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart. Now I'm going to pause right there for a moment. It's interesting how Peter says, now that you have become a Christian, now that you are following Christ, it's obvious that you now have sincere love for each other. He's, now, you've been saved, now you have love. 
But then he seems like he has to qualify that. So he then goes a little bit deeper. Love one another deeply. It's not just enough to have sincere love. You need to love one another deeply. And again, he re-emphasizes it. Rather than just deeply, he then says, from the heart. Just in case you need further qualification about what he means about loving one another. I find that fascinating as he's writing this letter. He doesn't want to just sit with, just love each other. I want you to love each other deeply from the heart. Going on, for you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Like newborn babies, crave spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. And as you come to him, the living stone rejected by humans but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifice acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. That's quite a bit of a mouthful there, hey? There's quite a lot going on. The first part I want to challenge us on this morning is a theology of us. Now, I know a lot of you think theology and you switch off immediately. Um, but let me break down what theology actually means. Theology means the study of the nature of God. So when you hear somebody say theology, what they're referring to is, hey, we want to get deeper into knowing God, knowing his mind, knowing his purpose for us. And when I say a theology of us, what I want to do is understand God's view, God's understanding, God's will for us. And you see this immediately in these passages. It's all about us. Now, there are two different perspectives I need to unpack here because, well, they actually make a difference. Westerners have a perspective and then ancient, and I would call also First Nations people, that is indigenous peoples, in our case, Maori in particular, they have a different perspective. I mean, when I talk about ancient peoples, I talk about the people who are reading the Bible when it's first written. They have a very different perspective to us today. In fact, I would say it's far more closer to First Nation peoples in the way they culturally uh, connect than a Westerner does today. For Westerners in particular, it's all about personal actualization. Be all that you can be. Now, that's a generalization, definitely, but it is very much the cornerstone of the Western world. Be all that you can be. The ancient world and the First Nations people, it's not about what you can be, it's about cultural perpetuity. The collective. Now, when we go to the Bible and we read the Bible, the whole Old Testament is not about one person. It's actually not about David. It's not about Abraham. It's about a group of people called Israel. And everything about Israel is about cultural perpetuity. Doesn't matter how great David can be, he is still one of the many, the selected people of God. 
Now, this is different for us. It's hard for us to kind of separate this because we train even our kids to go off and make your own living. Go to college or university far away if need be. And then when us oldies get too old, we'll put you in a retirement home or a place where you can be looked after. Most cultures don't think that way. In fact, a lot of cultures expect you to sacrifice yourself for the betterment of your family or your people. It's something for us Westerners difficult sometimes to, um, to grasp. Dr. Paul Herbert, who was talk, talks, has got a great book on, on differing worldviews. He was saying that when he was at Bible college teaching African students who were in his class, who were coming over from Africa, most of them wouldn't put their hand up to answer to a question. And he really had to coax them. They knew the answers, but they didn't feel okay putting their hand up because for them, it was impolite. They didn't want to stand out. Whereas most of his American students were all jumping up. I got the answer to that. I know it. Um, his comment was this. Being a part of the group was more fundamental than standing apart from the group. And he used that to compare how the ancient world thought. One of the reasons why God didn't want Israel to have a king was he didn't want one person to be stood apart. He was talking about the people as a whole. Now, why is this important this morning? Why am I breaking this down a little bit? Well, let me put it to you this way. Scott McKnight breaks it down really well. Um, looking at this passage, none of it is singular. It's all plural. It's not about me, it's about us. It's not about what you can do, it's what we can do. Peter is actually quite specific about being plural, talking about the collective. The only thing that he's actually singular about is the spiritual house, which I find really interesting. Scott McKnight says this, he says, the most, uh, most applications of our biblical text move immediately to its value, uh, uh, most applications of our biblical text move immediately to the value for individual piety, piety, only rarely to its value of corporate understanding of the church in our society. The way we interpret it is we see what it does for us rather than what it does for all of us. What it does for me rather than what it does for the whole lot of us. He goes on, such a context for interpretation prevents us from understanding the ancient text the way it was supposed to be understood and from experiencing the nature of the church as it ought to be a community rather than a collection of individuals. A theology of us is actually really, really important because the Bible thinks of us as us, not as just a collection of individuals. Up until the 20th century, you didn't have a choice of what church you wanted to go to. If you didn't like the church, you're stuck. You would leave the church. Today, if you don't like the music, you go somewhere else. That's a collection of individuals, not a community. It's a very recent phenomena that we now have a choice to go anywhere we want according to what we feel like, what makes me happy, 
what does well for me because God wants the best for me. Isn't that part of our thinking? Is that not part of the way we operate? But for 1900 years of Christianity, you didn't have much of a choice. In fact, for most of that time, there was no choice. It's only a recent phenomenon. And what happens when you mess with this, you start interpreting the Bible individualistically rather than in a community way. We start reading the words, how it impacts us, like me personally, rather than us, us collectively. Are you with me? I'm going to actually focus on this key element because not only are we talking about a theology of us, I want to actually start talking about us as individuals as well. What does it mean when we do gather together? What's our purpose? What's the purpose of this church thing that we do? Why do we do this? Last week, what's Jesus? Who is he? Today, well, what are we? What are we about? Peter says this, Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Like newborn babies crave spiritual milk so that, it may, uh, so that it, you may grow up in your salvation now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. I'm going to call this a theology of growth. What does it mean for us to grow? Peter here is using growing language. Babies, milk, food, growing up. We're going to be talking about a theology of growth. Three key elements to this passage. Rid yourselves, not individually, together. Crave, not just you on your own, all of us. Grow up in your salvation, not just you, us collectively. What does that look like? Let's make this practical. What does this look like? How do we rid ourselves of all those things? What does it mean to crave spiritual milk, pure spiritual milk? And what does it mean to grow up in your salvation? I thought we were just saved. Isn't it saved once and for all? And what's this whole growing up in your salvation actually mean? Richard Foster makes this comment. He says, Superficiality is the curse of our age. The doctrine of instant satisfaction is a primary spiritual problem. The desperate need today is not for a greater number of intelligent people or gifted people, but for deep people. Going back to those earlier verses in 1 Peter, a deep love. The church, unfortunately today, is very much superficial. We have created an environment to allow it to be superficial. Who wants to go to a church they don't enjoy? Who wants to listen to that song over and over and over again? Or who wants to listen to that big guy up front give me a hard time every Sunday? We don't need intelligent people, and frankly, we don't need gifted people. You're all gifted. And frankly, you're all intelligent. What we need is deep people. What does that mean? 
John Stott says, we confess that we have sometimes pursued church growth at the expense of church depth and divorced evangelism from Christian nurture. I don't understand, I'm going to offend everybody now, um, I don't understand why everyone's surprised with what's happened with Arise. If your main goal is to grow by numbers, guess what's going to happen? Nurture's going to go out the window. If that's your focus, if the megachurch is the way we want to grow things, because that shows the work of the Spirit, you know what's happening there? They're split. They're fighting amongst each other. And we've seen it, sorry, time and time and time again. I can name you a dozen churches previous to that that this has happened. But that's not just them. We can point the finger at them because it's recent. But I can name another other churches that weren't necessarily mega churches that have gone through the same issue where it's all about evangelism, getting people into that bowl because that's a sign of a healthy church because the true signs of the healthy church are really, really hard to nail. And as we saw last week about Jesus, he had a large crowd with him he gave them the hard word, and what did they do? They walked away. To the point where there's, you could hear the desperation in his voice when he turns to his disciples and says, you guys are going to leave me too. And their response is, where do we go? We have nothing but you. You know what the problem was back then? There were other rabbis they could follow. The Great Commission has been twisted and torn and reshaped into our image. When Jesus, his prime motivation was to challenge us to grow, not by numbers, but by depth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. When I arrived at Apawa 12 years ago in Christchurch, two months before the first earthquake, one of the things that they, it's a small church, they were proud of was that we had 15 baptisms in the last five years. And for a small church of 100 people, that's a lot of baptisms compared to most other Baptist churches. I'm like, wow, three baptisms a year on average. That's awesome. Where are they now? What do you mean? Well, we baptized them. Where are they now? Nine of them, we couldn't actually figure out what happened to them. So I said, we have a 33% success rate with baptisms. Are we all just about the decision? Get them converted. And then we just drop them and let them run on their own. That's not what Jesus is saying here. Make disciples. Discipleship is a process. Long, tedious, hard, annoying, difficult, rewarding. What is to be gained? This is David Wells great theologian, I love this guy, but what is to be gained if we are so intent in reaching out to the unchurched that we then unchurch the reached? Sorry. 
I just stepped on his guitar thing. Um, isn't it a great comment? Isn't it? And you can see the churches that do this. You can see the churches that do this. The primary mission, I, 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 I've got this quote written down, and I'm sorry, I don't know who wrote it, but I had it written down. The primary mission of the church is to grow as a spiritual community and to declare the goodness of God through Jesus Christ. That is the primary mission of the church. And you know what? Forget about whole growing a spiritual community. We've just skipped that part completely because it's difficult. And because people have easy options to move out. So our goal is to try and keep them. Do what makes them happy. Give them the massages. The primary mission of the church is to grow as a spiritual community. Not in numbers. In depth. And through that, declare the goodness of God through Jesus Christ. Philippians 1.6, Peter, uh, this is Paul talking to the church at Philippi. He says, be confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. You don't stop with salvation. You don't stop at where you're at. God has taken you on a journey, a difficult one to bring you to the cross. And then from the cross onwards, you know what? It's just as hard. It doesn't stop at the foot of the cross. It keeps going. Let me say another thing that will offend some people here. God loves you, but he doesn't love you the way you are. Let me make this really clear. I have people who come to me and tell me, I've been guilty of this. God loves you just the way you are. No, love doesn't work like that. And if he did, what's the point of the cross? If he loves you just the way you are, why did Jesus have to die? You love your kids, but you don't necessarily love them just the way they are. You hope and pray that they can be what you hope can be the best for them. God has the same for you. In fact, he sent his own son to die for you so that you wouldn't sit in your sin, in your brokenness, that you might find wholeness and hope yes he loves you absolutely but don't use the excuse that he loves you just the way you are the challenge here is to complete to grow in your salvation I've used this before I'm going to use it again salvation costs you nothing and discipleship will cost you everything. Salvation occurs in a moment. Discipleship takes a lifetime. Salvation is something God does to you. Discipleship is something you do together with God. Salvation's like the wedding. Everyone loves a wedding. Discipleship's the marriage. Salvation is like making babies. It's fun. Discipleship is raising those babies. And that's, sometimes that's not fun. Right? Discipleship isn't an individual activity, by the way. 
Peter here is saying this is something we do together. That we challenge each other to grow. That we love each other deeply, even when we don't like each other that much. Therefore, rid yourselves of all that junk you're holding on to. And it's deeply personal here. He's not talking about sexual sin or your lies or your. He's not talking about. He's talking. It's quite personal here. Malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, slander, all the junk that every one of us in this room has. Okay, all the things that we can't differentiate ourselves from. We're all got this. Right? He says, we've all got this. Just get rid of it. And like newborn babies, crave. Crave God. <laughs> crave that spiritual milk so that you, by it, you may grow up in your salvation now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. I've always felt for the ancients. I've always felt for the early church. They didn't have a Bible. They had the Old Testament. You imagine having sermons on Leviticus every morning. That's got to be fun. <laughs> <laughs> I could make it fun, believe me. <laughs> but, you know, they, they didn't have a Bible. They were relying on these letters that were popping up every few months. And they would be challenging each other by, what do we mean? What's going on here? We today have these tools. And not only do we have these tools, we have them in a little pocket handheld device that we can carry around everywhere with us. Those guys had to wait for some papyri to show up or parchment or whatever it was and hope that the guy that was sending the letter wasn't going to get killed along the way or drown in a storm we've got everything at our disposal we've got everything we need to be able to crave and to grow up and to rid ourselves we have no excuse and frankly we should have each other and maybe that is our problem Maybe we don't have enough of each other. Mark chapter 12, verse 30, Jesus is talking. He's giving him the great commandment. What's the, what's the commandment? And he says, you know, love the Lord with all, not just a little bit, but all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. I struggle with that with the person I love don't we but this is what we're called to this is the let's say end goal of our spiritual growth that we can get to a point and say yeah that's me at that point I believe you must probably be in heaven honestly but, but that, that's the goal you want me to give you a vision, paint you a vision of your personal future? There it is. And then you'll look at me and say, how's that going to work? And then I'll ask you to look around. Because we're supposed to do this together. We live according to what we are told will honor and please him. Not what makes us happy let me make that really clear if you haven't heard it yet this whole journey that we're on with God is not about making you comfortable and happy it's about 
pleasing him. Think about that for a moment. We've created an environment where in the lower hut region, from lower hut to upper hut, there's something like a hundred churches. I think I was talking to someone yesterday. Hey, there's a church just up the road from us. There's about 10 people in it. There's about several of those churches. Why are we so fragmented? I can tell you why. I don't like this. I'm going to go do this. I don't want to be under that. I want to be under this. They're not teaching what I want. They're going to be going over here. I want more music. I want more spirit. I want more this. I want more that. Largest, one of the largest reasons some of our people have left over the last four or five years because they don't believe the children's ministry is good enough for their kids. So they're going to go to another church to find another children's ministry that will make their kids happy. So we're teaching our kids to have that same mentality. Go where you are happy, where you are served best. And we wonder why the church is not growing. And we wonder why we look around and think, what's going on? We blame the government. We'll blame the policies they come out with. We'll blame Australia because they don't recognise Jerusalem as the capital of Israel anymore. We'll put the blame everywhere else except at our own feet. We've got to live according to what we are told will honour and please him. And how do we find out? Well, he's given us the tools. That's why there is a Bible. That's why we don't have to sit here and wait for three or four months for Paul to send us another letter. We've got it. Accessed right here, right now. We can look at it, open it up. There it is. Um, I've got a plan in the next couple of years to do a study tour of Rome. And I want to do it on the book of Hebrews. And the book of Hebrews is fascinating because the... uh, I read a commentary years ago and he kind of painted the picture in this commentary about what it might have looked like. The Hebrews were the Jews in Rome who were waiting for this letter to arrive and waiting for this moment in which they could hear what, you know, what our leaders are going to tell us. What, what more can we glean from this? And I took, he talks about this guy named, a fictional guy named Antonius who was a Jew who gave his life to Christ and lost everything because back then... As a Jew, if you decided to be a Christian, you lost your family, your traditions, everything. Ostracized, cut off, done, finished. Talks about him living in this little one-room apartment, alone. Heading out to do a Bible study with a bunch of other small group of Christians because this letter arrived from the East. And the thrill of wanting to hear what God is going to say. And then the moment they open up the, the letter and, and he talks about his heart just beating, wanting to hear the good news. Do we feel like that anymore? Or is this just plain sailing? Are we challenged by this? We are summoned, again, this is David Wells, we are summoned to know him only on his terms. He is not known on our terms. This summon is heard in and through his word. It's not heard through our intuition. 
part of the problem is that we, again, unpacking what he's trying to say, it's a difficult word, by the way. It's not, you read that and you think, hang on a sec. What he's trying to say here is not, not how you feel, though sometimes it does work that way. But how do you measure what's right or wrong from how you feel? His challenge is you need to be in his word. So I'm going to give you four things real quick because I don't want to leave you with just a challenge. I want to give you some practical things. Next week, I'm going to get Richard up here. He's going to talk a little bit more about habits and some practicalities around that as well. So let me give you a few couple of things, four things that I hope you could just take away and start working on because I want to challenge you to grow, not just, you know, get to know more things. I want you to grow deeply. Part of this whole church next process for us, the whole rhythms thing, is about challenging us together to grow deep. That includes me, by the way. Just because I might be preaching doesn't make me any better than you guys. We're Baptists. We're all equal. And any one of you are more than capable of being up front here and sharing God's word. <laughs> doesn't mean I'll pick you out and get you up here next week. But you're more than capable. Discipline's the first thing. Okay, what do I mean by discipline? Actually, four very basic things about discipline. Uh, confession. We don't do much confession, do we? To one another. When was the last time you actually confessed your sins to each other? You know, Jesus commands us to confess your sins to one another. Who feels comfortable about that? confession prayer worship learning that is reading your bibles learning more about god being challenged by what you believe for very you know <laughs> i i i got a uh, personal trainer because I, I i do struggle with my weight right i'm a big guy but i don't necessarily want to be a big guy I've got a collection of shirts that I used to wear 20 years ago and I'm hoping one day I'll be able to wear them again. Right now they come up to about here. <laughs> and he wrote down some things and number one on his list for me was discipline. You're lacking discipline, Rob. It's a simple thing. I'm like, yeah, thanks. <laughs> but it is. You want to grow in Christ? You want to get deeper? There's four things there that you can work on. Get together with some people. Confess. Pray. Talk with God. Worship Him. Not the way you like to worship. The way He wants to be worshipped. Let me say that again, just because that seems to always be a problem in every church I've been a part of. Worshipping is all about Him, not you. Whether you like singing or not. Whether you like flags or not or ribbons or other weird things people do sorry I've just offended everyone again anyway <laughs> worship is about him not about you it's not about how you like to worship him it's not about how I feel connected with God so, I'm going to offend more people again but it's not like oh in nature I feel closer to God yeah okay you know what even in the middle of a busy street you should be feeling closer to God Or do you only feel closer to God when the plane's about to crash? Because some of us do. That's the one time we do pray, right? 
try flying into Wellington on a windy day. God's getting a whole lot of messages in that point and that time. Many of them from me, believe me. Discipline is doing this consistently. Again, we don't do this alone. We do this. Next thing, service. (laughs) Service is all about love, compassion, and submission. That's service. God wants you to love people. He wants you in service. And service doesn't mean, again, I'll do this my way because I'll do what I like. Compassion, submission. Guys like to quote the... I did it again, I'm sorry. (laughs) Guys like that Ephesians verse, wives submit to your husbands. But boy, if you tell them you need to submit her... Submission. This is part of service. Submitting yourself to the will of God. What's God's will? What what do you think it is? Again, not to be done alone, but to be done together. (laughs) This is a cool one. And I actually don't want to even talk about time, talents, and treasures, though it's actually a very key part. You being here is a sacrifice. Let me make this really clear. I don't know who I said to this morning. Um, It's a beautiful day outside and I'm indoors. (sighs) Right? That's a... This is not for your benefit. We've turned this into this whole thing that this is about us and what we would be good for us. It's a sacrifice. Giving up a Sunday morning. You know how many people out there think we're crazy? Do you know that? In fact, some churches have gotten to this habit of moving the times around so we can attract people, so it's not cutting in to some of the... No! This is a sacrifice. We are called to give up our time for Him. This, our purpose here is to hear Him. Together. Time, our talents, our treasures... People don't like me talking about money. We're good Baptists about that. It's all a sacrifice. But then there's also community. Intentionality. How many of you life groups have had communion together? How many of you have had people over for dinner, but before you had dinner, let's just break some bread together and give honour to God? I, I confess I haven't done that much. Communion. Jesus again commands us when you come together, break bread. Sure, eat, feast, have a good time. But I'm pretty sure it's not all about, thank you God for this meal we're about to eat. Bless you in Jesus' name, amen. Let's eat. I mean, we do that and that's okay. I I got into a habit, you know, what I used to do years ago. Well, not not that long ago, actually. (laughs) On New Year's Day, I would get up and I would declare loudly to the house, God, thank you for all the meals I'm going to eat this year. Blessed in Jesus' name, amen. I don't have to pray again over my food. <laughs> yeah, that's not the point. Communion, that's not the point. It's to remember, not just that we're grateful for the food we're about to eat, but remember the hope we have in Jesus Christ. That when the world looks like everything is absolutely nuts and crazy out there, 
praise be to God, we have hope that life doesn't just end like this. Right? Gracious God, thank you for your son. Break the bread. This is your body. Here's the cup. This is your blood. We want to thank you and we remember what you've done for us. And forgive us for all the times that we forget. How often have you guys done that together? Communion, accountability. God, that's a, that's a bit of a word, isn't it? But if we want all this to happen, how does it not happen without accountability? How does it not happen when we don't challenge each other? How does it not happen when we confront each other? How does this happen? Just like last week about Jesus, you know how... You know, there's the grace Jesus, but then there's the really sharp-mouthed, hard Jesus. We like to live with the grace Jesus. Why? Because that lets us off too. But sometimes the hard, sharp-voiced Jesus, get behind me, Satan. Using people as examples of what's wrong. If we're doing this together, then we do this together. right amen <laughs> okay, I'm, I'm smiling because I'm thinking who's going to come up and confess their sins to me um, <laughs> but, but that's really actually what it's about uh, I want to go back all the way back to that first part of this session all the way back. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart. from the heart again who was I talking to about positivity people who are always positive yes we need to be positive but not at the expense of being real and deep Um, frankly I'm not always positive (laughs) those of you know me yeah but one thing you can't fault me on He's always real. I want to hear that from all of us. That's what community is about. Now that we have tasted Jesus, now that we have encountered him, we have sincere love for each other, but let's love one another deeply with our hearts. Amen? Amen. I'm going to leave it at that because I could go on. Apparently I've gone for 40 minutes, so I need to stop. Let's get the music team up. Poor Al, I think I've messed up his whole rig there. Getting too excited about getting up and preaching. Uh, Let me pray. Father God, we confess 
that we don't always put you first. We confess that sometimes we just look at the results and want to see things happening, but we ourselves, well, we're not challenging ourselves. We confess, Lord, that other things are a priority in our lives. We confess, Lord, that other things come before you. We confess, Lord, that other things are more important at times than you. We confess, Lord, that at times we're not even thinking about you. And we confess that for all the time, you aren't always our all. And sometimes there are periods where you're not even a little bit of our all. Forgive us, Lord. But thank you. (laughs) Thank you that you know us so well, that this is a part of who we are. Thank you that we're not here to do this on our own, that we're here to do it together. Thank you that we have each other and that we have a God who deeply loves us, not for where we are here, but wants to see us grow. We do this for your glory, Lord, not for our own. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name.